We are in the middle of a series, or this will be the last, actually, message in the series, uh, where I hope to challenge each one of us to pursue a personal relationship with the Lord and experience a personal revival in our hearts. Uh, There's one phrase that just keeps coming to my mind over and over and over again regarding 2020, this year that we're in, and that phrase is this, we need revival. We need revival. Everywhere I look, everything I see, all the evidence that keeps coming my way tells me that we desperately need revival in our nation, in our churches, and it's got to start in us, right? It's got to start in us. Revival is renewal. Revival is restoration. Revival is recovery. Revival is when something appears lifeless, but then someone comes to their rescue and does something to bring that lifeless thing or that lifeless person back to life again. That's what revival is. Uh, We can think of it in terms like this. When a person passes out, then someone arrives on the scene to help them, maybe gives them fluids or maybe some oxygen, but then you see that person who passed out and appears to be lifeless, they're restored to life again. Or we think about it in terms of a flower, a drooping flower that you put it, someone comes to that flower's rescue and puts, matter of fact, I was noticing outside, the plants outside, they appear to dry, like they're dying. I can't imagine, it can't be because of not enough rain. Right? Anyway, so there's a drooping flower, random thought there, a a drooping flower. Somebody puts that flower in some fresh water and that flower comes back to life again. That's what revival is. It's something that appears lifeless coming back to life again. Now, churches and Christians can often appear lifeless, can't they? And we, churches and Christians can appear to weaken. We can appear to be faint and struggling and and in desperate situations, but when God comes down, He revives us. And this is what I want today to, for you to think about. Revival is a fresh inflow. Revival is a fresh inflow of the life, the love, and the power of God. Revival is a fresh inflow of the life, the love, and the power of God. And this phrase, we need revival... We need a fresh inflow of the life, the love, and the power of God. It just reverberates. It echoes in my mind and my heart. And I am intensely seeking it for myself and for this church this year. You might ask, well, why do you think revival is such a pressing need right now, Mark? Is it because there's something wrong with you? Is it because there's something wrong with the church? Our church, and I would answer yes and no. There's, yes, there's always something that needs to be fixed in me, always. But nothing more than usual. And yes, there's always some kind of trouble in any church, including this one, that needs to be addressed. But really, nothing more than usual. We need revival. We need revival because we need to be at full strength to face the challenges and the opportunities that lie ahead of us in 2020. We need revival so we can bring glory to God through our good works in 2020 without giving up, without growing weak, without quitting. We need revival so that we can truly be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We need revival so we won't cave in when we're being persecuted, and that's coming. We need revival so we won't be compromised when we're tempted, and we know that's coming. We need revival so that our walk with God and our talk about God line up to make us more effective witnesses for God. We need revival. We need revival. We need revival for our own sakes. We need revival for the sakes of our families and our children. We need revival for the for the sake of all the lost people that we encounter on an everyday basis, the people we live with and work with and play with. We need revival. But mostly, I want you to listen to what I have to say here. Mostly we need revival for the sake of God's glory and the sake of his name. I love what Leonard Leonard Ravenhill said about revival. 
Revival is when God gets so sick and tired of being misrepresented that he shows himself. We need that kind of revival. Where it's about his glory. It's not about filling up a church, getting people to church on a Sunday, getting their, their butts and their bucks here. We need revival simply because it brings glory to God. His people living out what they say they believe in their everyday life. We need that kind of revival where Christians are indeed being Christians and living up to what they've attained in Christ Jesus. That's revival. We need revival. We need revival that brings glory and honor to the name of the Lord. That's why we live, isn't it? What is the chief end of man? The Westminster Catechism asks. It's to bring gl glory to God. That's why we're here. If you think it's about you, you've missed the point. It's not about me drawing a large crowd. It's not about me giving an altar call and the entire church swarms to the front. It's about people coming into alignment with the will and the ways of God, giving, walking away from their rebellion and bowing their knee at His throne and giving their lives in surrender to Him. That's what revival is really all about. It's for the glory of God. In Psalm 85, the psalmist asked God to revive His people again. Now, most scholars believe that Psalm 85 was written just after Israel had returned from captivity in Babylon. That's where we are in our story on the Wednesday nights. Israel had been sent to Babylon as exiles for 70 years as punishment uh, for their sins against the Lord, but now the Lord has restored them to their homeland. He'd restored them to their homeland. Praise God, but their hearts still weren't right with God. The nation had experienced restoration, but it still stood in great need of revival because their lives were still not lined up with his will and his ways. I, I, I believe this with all my heart. I believe that Israel's situation in that day is very much the same as the situation we have in our day. We, listen, we've been saved by the grace of God. We have been delivered from the penalty of our sins. Come on. We've been blessed beyond words, blessed beyond anything we ever could deserve. We've been blessed. But let's be honest. We're still not where we need to be with God. None of us. None of us. There's still, there's still things that stand between us and the Lord. There are still areas in our life that have yet to be surrendered to Him. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've walked with the Lord. I know that's the condition of my heart. Just like ancient Israel, you and I, we need revival. We need revival that brings our walk up so that it matches with our talk. As we look at this psalm today, I, I hope that you're as convinced as I am that we need revival. I also hope that you'll be convinced to do what it takes to receive revival from God in your own life because I believe with all my heart God wants to send it to us. And what I want to present to you is Psalm 85 in terms of being an action plan that we can carry on throughout this year as we seek revival. This is an action plan that we can follow as we seek the Lord to bring our lives into conformity with His will and His ways. It's an action plan. I'm going to lay it out for you. I want you to fill out those notes, take notes as the Lord drops them into your heart about how it applies directly to you, but this is an action plan I want us all to follow this year because I believe this will be a defining year, not just for this church, but for this nation and for the world. And I want to be ready for whatever's coming. I want to be ready. I know you do too. Here we go. Let's read it. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turn from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Here's the heart of this prayer. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Does that touch something? I want to read that verse together. 
I want, I, want, I want to know if it touches your heart the same way it touches mine. When I read this verse, something inside of me just chokes up. It's like, God, this is where my heart is. This is what I really want to see from you. Let's read it together. Verse 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Say it again. Will you not rejoice that your people show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation? I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. And these are these last these last four verses are some of the deepest you'll ever read in the Bible. You can dive as deeply as you want. We can't, we don't have time here to do it. But I want you to take these verses home, if you will, and meditate on them for a few minutes. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. It's a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much, and I thank you for the opportunity you've given me to stand in front of this tremendously wonderful group of people to share within this word. Lord, we ask you to rend the heavens and come down. We ask you to do a work in our hearts that only you can do. Breathe new life into our spirits, Jesus. Help us to live up to what we've already attained in you, Lord. Help us to be the sons and the daughters of God, not just in name only, but in reality, living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to clearly reflect to the world around us who you are and who you want to be to the brokenhearted, to the wounded, to the hurting, to the suffering. Don't let us be satisfied with our complacency. Don't let us grow cold, oh God, toward you, but cause the fires to, to stir up in us, to burn in us with a passion, to make your name famous, to bring glory and honor to you through everything we say and everything we do. Lord, we ask you to do a work in our hearts. Revive us again that we might rejoice in you, Lord. Be glorified in every word that's spoken. Open our hearts that we can receive it. And help us to put it into practice until we see your glory come and revival with it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Here's an action plan. Follow along with me. It's, it's going to be rather quick. Well, it won't be quick. I, I, that's, that's a lie from a preacher. You know. <laughs> this is an action plan for revival. And it will take each one of us employing this plan to see revival come. Because it's got to start somewhere. And I believe God wants to start it in you and in me personally so that it spills over to affect this church and the world. But here, here you go. Here's the action plan. First, we have to admit the possibility of revival. We have to admit that revival is actually possible. We see this in verses 1 through 3. And my question for you today is this. Are you even convinced that God wants to come down and bring revival? I know people that say it will never happen. I know people who have told me with their own mouth, God is finished with us. He will never do what he's done in the past. Are you convinced that God wants to bring revival? We have to start by admitting the possibility of it. Here in, in these first three verses, the psalmist reminds God of six things that God had done in the past. You, Lord, you showed favor. You, Lord, you restored the fortunes of your people. You, Lord, you forgave the iniquity. Lord, you covered all their sins. You, Lord, 
set aside your wrath. You, Lord, turn from your fierce anger. You see, this psalmist believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that God had sent revival in the past and what God had done in the past, he could do today. Are you convinced of that? Are you, do you believe that God can bring revival to your life? All right. Because here's what I've heard too often in conversations I've had with some of you. You think that you've sinned too much for God to do anything about your, the current situation in your heart. You think you've gone too far and God could never do for you what he's done for other people. Uh-oh, got quiet. Will you even admit the possibility that what God has done for others, he can do for you? He's done it for some of you in the past. And you're beginning to think to yourself that I have failed him so much. I've gone too far that now God can't even restore to me the joy of my salvation again. And that's exactly what we need to do. We have to admit the possibility that God can bring revival no matter how far we've strayed, no matter how far we've gone, no matter how bad we think we've been, God can restore us again. We've not gone too far that His hand can't reach out and save us. Too many of us believe that judgment is on its way and there's no hope for revival anymore. In our hearts, in this church, in this city, in this, we just... But man, you have forgotten all the promises that God has made to people. Listen to what God says to us. You see, the promises of God say the possibility is still there. Psalm 86.5 says, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. To all who call to you. No matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how deep you are in the pit, no matter how many times you have failed him, you, Lord, are forgiving and good and abounding in love to all who call to you. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, a promise to us. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's a promise from God that what he's done in the past he wants to do today. Acts 3, 19. If you want a New Testament verse, and some of you guys are saying, well, that's Old Testament stuff. Okay, here you go. New Testament, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You've not gone too far. This nation has not gone too far. This community has not gone too far. God wants to revive his people. He wants to revive the people's hearts in this community, in this land. We have to admit that. That's where it starts. Do you even believe he wants to do it? I am convinced he wants to do it. More than that, I'm convinced he will do it if we will seriously seek his face. It's never too late for God to send revival to people who are hungry for it. Never. Second, we have to confess our need for revival. And that's where some of us get locked up. We think we're good. Thank you very much. Good. Got the t-shirt. Love Jesus. Got my Jesus fish on, my, on the bumper. If that's all you want, that's all you got. You're only as full of God as you want to be. This whole psalm is a confession of the need for revival. And verse 6 lies right at the heart of this psalm. And it's clear exactly what the psalmist is asking the Lord for. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? We have to admit we need revival. You can't possibly be sitting in this room thinking you're okay. That God's got you as far as he wants to take you. You can't possibly believe that. Not if you read the same Bible I read. I realize how far, I, far, far short I follow the Lord. We, need, we desperately need revival in the world. We desperately need revival in the world. More and more people are living today without hope and without God. There's been a 33% increase in suicide rates over the last 20 years in America. Does that break your heart? Almost 200 people die every day in America from drug overdoses. Does that break your heart? More than 65 million Americans report they went on an alcoholic binge in the last month. Does that break your heart? They have no hope because they're without God. We need revival. 
Only a revival will break those trends and turn this nation right side up again. We need revival in the church. Don't tell me we don't. You read the same headlines I read. You see the things going on in our churches. We need revival in the churches. 4,000 churches in America closed last year. 4,000 more churches will close this year. Churches that used to be filled like ours with people who sang praise to the Lord, who testified to the goodness of God just a few years ago. Their doors are locked. Nobody's there this morning. Does that break your heart? It should break your heart. Church attendance continues to decline. Plummeting. Plummeting. It used to be when I, when I started pastoring this church, not quite 20 years ago, that a faithful church attender was someone who came to church at least three times during the month. It's now down to two times a month. They say in five years it will be if they show up just once a month, consider them to be a faithful church attender. Do you think we need revival in churches? Yes. We absolutely do. We need revivals. Only 50% of the pastors standing in pulpits this morning in churches across America, only 50% of them have a biblical worldview. Only 50% of us, I'll include myself in the number, only 50% of us believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved. Only 50% of us believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. And you wonder why the people sitting in the pews have no idea who Jesus is or what He's done. Because the people preaching to them don't believe it. So they don't teach it. We need revival in the churches today, y'all. We need revival in our personal lives. And I'm not going to, you know, we've had conversations. You've had conversations with me. So you know I struggle too at times. And too often we seem powerless in those struggles, don't we? I mean, some of us are walking around that same mountain. We've been doing it for years now. Still walking around that same mountain, that same struggle. We need revival that breaks us out of those patterns. Those deadly patterns of attitudes and behaviors that keep us trapped. We stumble and we fall way too much, y'all. Making excuses for ourselves every time we do it. When the Bible says the power of sin has been broken in your life, you don't have to go back like a dog to its vomit. You're free to walk in the power of the Spirit and freedom in life. But we seem way too powerless, don't we? We seem like we stumble and fall. The devil plays us like a drum. We take the bait every time, and he hooks us. We need revival. We need revival in our personal lives. Our feelings always seem to undermine our faith. Come on. We need revival, y'all. Come on. We need to confess the need for revival. Confess the need for revival. Let's stop playing these little religious games thinking we're okay. That we're going to be okay. That God's just going to wink at our sin. That it's okay that we misrepresent him to the world around us. Come on. Enough. Enough. I need God to do something in me. I need to line up with the identity he's given me in Christ Jesus. I am chosen by God. I've been made holy by God. I will live for God. That's revival. That's revival. We need to confess our need for it. We desperately need revival. But God won't send revival until we confess our need for it. He won't fill a vessel that's got a cap on it. Take the cap off and say, Lord, I need more. I've got to, I've got to have more. And that's exactly, I think, the intent of 2 Chronicles 7.14 when it says, say it with me, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Get that weight. Humble themselves. I'm not a finished product yet. Humble themselves. Come on and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. It starts when we confess our need for revival. 
Third, we've got to recognize the source of revival. Revival can't be scheduled on a calendar. If it could, every church would put it on its calendar. And they try. And as soon as the evangelist is gone, what happens? That's not revival. That's a series of special meetings. Huge difference. Revival can't be scheduled on a calendar. Revival won't come through a man or a method. You keep waiting for a new preacher because when the preacher comes in here, he'll change the atmosphere in this place. Uh, okay. Okay. I bet if we got Reverend Evangelist so-and-so in here, he'd turn this place upside down. Okay. And as soon as Brother Evangelist is gone, what's going to happen? <laughs> Revival can't be worked up. It can't be ginned up. It's not some kind of emotional response to God, because if it's an emotional response to God, the emotions subside. Revival has to be sent down by God. Rend the heavens, Lord, and come down. Revival is, can only be sent by God, and that's what verse 6 says when it asks God, will you not revive us again? Too many of us are looking for, I had a, I'm sorry, I'm going <sighs> to, rabbit trail. I had a lady when I was a youth pastor in Ozark, Alabama years ago. <laughs> Gabe was in my youth group back then. Say hi, Gabe. There you go. Um, I got a phone call one, one morning as I was sitting in my office, and it was a lady from Pennsylvania. And uh, she said, uh, I heard there's a big revival going on down in southeast Alabama, and I was wondering if you could tell me something about it. Is it going on at your church? Uh, no, ma'am. I said, what kind of revival are you talking about? She said, there's a healing revival, and angel feathers are falling from the, from the ceiling, and there's been gold dust found on the backs of the chairs. And she said, a lot of people have been healed there. And I had no, I didn't know anything about it. And uh, she said, I just want to know that if I get in my car and drive down to Ozark, Alabama, if I'm going to be able to experience what God is doing in that church down in, down in southeast Alabama. And I said, man, do you think God is omnipresent, that he's everywhere? Of course I do. Do you think God could heal you right now where you're sitting? That he could revive you right now in Pennsylvania just as easily as he could revive your heart in southeast Alabama? What do you mean? I said, ma'am, why don't you just stay in Pennsylvania and seek the Lord for healing and for revival there instead of spending your money to come down to southeast? We're, what is it about us? We want to chase experiences. We're like drug addicts looking for a, a new high. Come on, that's what we are. Jesus junkies. Jesus junkies. We constantly want the thrill of the high. Why don't you just bore down where you're at and trust the Lord for what you need right where you're at? Instead of chasing experience. Okay, I know. See, I'm afraid we've, we've messed some things up, man. The revival won't be found in a specific location because there's a certain preacher who preaches, or a certain band that's playing, or a certain worship atmosphere that's taking place, or because the smoke and the mirrors of the service are, whoo, really cool. Revival comes from God. And wherever God is, there can be revival. If there's a person willing to open up their hearts and receive it when God comes down. Does this make sense? Uh, I, I hope so. We can talk more about it. G. Campbell Morgan said this, We cannot organize revival, but we can set our sails to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow upon his people once again. And that's what I'm asking myself to do, and that's what I'm asking you to do. Let's set our sails, and let's get ready for God to do something here. When he comes, 
to bring revival. Let's be ready. Let's be ready. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who do, does not change like shifting shadows. Listen, guys, surely, surely this good, good Father will not withhold revival from us if we ask Him for it. That's certainly one of the gifts we most need. It's certainly one of the gifts He most wants to give. For crying out loud, trust Him to bring it when the time is right, when your hearts are ready. Let God bring the revival to us that he wants to give us in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Fourth, pray for revival. If we ask God for revival, we're praying for revival. Verse 6 is an urgent prayer to the Lord. It's an, you, you, you sense desperation in the prayer. Will you not revive us? You can hear the, the sense of urgency and desperation in the voice of that psalmist. Will you not revive us? And you can study the history of revivals. And I encourage you to go back. And Nothing will inspire you, motivate you more than to go back and read the history of the revivals that God has brought down in different times in different places. Study, study the history of those revivals, and you will find in every case 100% universal piece of evidence that you will find at the beginning of every revival Revival has always, in every time and in every place, begun as a, uh, has been, it's, it's been a revival has begun because of prayer. Every single one. The disciples prayed for 10 days to experience revival at Pentecost. The Moravians prayed intensely for three months before revival came in 1727. Most recent, Brownsville is a great revival down there. They prayed, I think it was for two years. Two years. Started on Father's Day one year. Two years later, God began to move in a fresh and miraculous way in Brownsville. I want to read to you a little story about a, a revival that took place in New York City back in the mid-1800s. I, I think it will see, you'll, you'll, you'll see what, I, what I'm trying to get across to you here. We've got to start praying for revival. In September 1857, a man of prayer, I want you to notice it started with what? A man who prayed. A man who prayed. All right, here. And here's his name. In September 1857, a man of prayer, Jeremiah Lamphier, started a businessman's prayer meeting in the upper room of the Dutch Reformed Church Consistory, Consistory Building in Manhattan. In response to his advertisement, only six people out of a population of a million showed up. Six out of a million. Not a great turnout. But the following week, there were 14. And then 23, when it was decided to meet every day for prayer. By late winter, they were filling the Dutch Reformed Church, then the Methodist Church on John Street, then Trinity Episcopal Church on Broadway at Wall Street. In February and March of 1858, every church and public hall in downtown New York was filled. Horace Greeley, the famous editor, sent a reporter with horse and buggy racing around the prayer meetings to see how many men were praying. In one hour, he could get to only 12 meetings, but he counted 6,100 men attending. And I love, I love this little phrase. Then a landslide of prayer began. Landslide of prayer. God, give us a landslide, of, an avalanche of prayer, if you will. Then a landslide of prayer began, which overflowed to the churches in the evenings. People began to be converted, 10,000 a week in New York City alone. It all began because one man said, I'm going to pray. Y'all want to come and join me? I'm praying. <laughs> People began to be converted, 10,000 a week in New York City alone. The movement spread throughout New England. The church bells bringing people to prayer at 8 in the morning, 12 noon, and 6 in the evening. The revival raced up the Hudson and down the Mohawk, where the Baptists, for example, had so many people to baptize that they went down to the river, cut a big hole in the ice, and baptized them in the cold water. When Baptists do that, it says, they are really on fire. It all started 
because a man that we won't meet till we get to heaven, you've never heard his name before, Jeremiah Lanfear, began to pray, and he invited other people to join him. That's what God's waiting for. He's waiting for one of us to say, Lord, send the revival. Let it begin here in me. And that's the next part of this action plan. Offer yourself as a conduit for revival. Offer yourself to the Lord as a conduit for revival. Put yourself into that circle, figurative circle, every day. Say, Lord, send revival. And bring revival here to everything inside this circle. Offer yourself to the Lord as a conduit for revival. Verse, verse 6 again says, will you not revive us? Us. Will you not revive us? Listen, God wants to send a revival. Of that, there is no doubt. God wants to send us revival, but he needs people he can use to send it through. He needs a vessel that he can use, a conduit he can use to pour out blessings on other people, a conduit he can use to bring revival to the world. And I'm challenging you to be one of those people. Be one of those people. Maybe you're the key to revival in this church. I don't know who it's going to begin through. I want it to begin in me, but that's kind of a selfish thing, isn't it? Well, it's kind of expected. The pastor, the preacher is supposed to be all revived and high on God. What if it was just a little child, little alley over here? If we begin to see God moving, she, he already is. What am I talking about? We're already experiencing revival, y'all. Let's just fan it into place like a, a blower on, you know. Oh. Come on, come on, let's fan those flames. Some of you are feeling the fire of God in your heart for the very first time. And I'm asking the old people in here, the ones that have walked with Christ for a long time, fan that flame. Fan that flame. Don't shut it down. Older Christians are sometimes really good at smothering out the fire they see in others. For whatever reason, let the old fogies get out of your way, young believer. And you chase God with everything you've got, and you surrender yourself completely to God, no matter how we may try to stifle that and hold you back. You go, okay. I'm talking to me. Been walking with the Lord for 40 years, and I'll see God doing something in somebody's life, and I'm thinking to myself, ah, that'll die down after a while. Shame on you, Mark. Shame on me for having those kinds of thoughts. I want you to find... I want you to be like a sparkler on the 4th of July, man. You're shining for the glory of God. Where was I? I'm sorry. Offer yourself as a conduit for revival. You see, God's looking for people. He's looking for a person he can work through. Maybe you're that person. Maybe you're that person. Maybe I'm that person. I don't know who it is. But it's got to start somewhere. There was a man who had a fifth grade education, a shoe salesman, of all things. Anybody ever sold shoes? I did, to work my way through college. It's not a very pleasant job. There's nothing like going home to your wife when you smell like dirty socks, especially when she smells like a Big Mac because she's been working at McDonald's. Doesn't make for real close romantic kind of things, I'm just saying. A shoe salesman with a fifth grade education who heard a preacher say, the world has yet to see what God will do with one man who was fully surrendered to him. D.L. Moody said, I'll be that man. I bet you've heard his name. If you've listened to the Moody Radio Broadcasting Network, if you have read a book from Moody Publishing Company, if you have heard a broadcast from Moody Church in Chicago, if you have heard a preacher preach from the Moody Bible Institute, that's the Moody we're talking about. A shoe salesman with a fifth grade education. You see, God, I think, likes to pick the least obvious 
the least educated, the least recognizable person to use them for his glory because then God gets all the glory and not the person. Does that make sense? So I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. D.L. Moody went on to preach or through his books and pamphlets to reach more than 100 million people for the Lord in his generation. And we're still benefiting from this man who said, I will be that man. We still benefit from every day. If you listen to the radio, read those books. You're thinking to yourself already, I can't be anybody like that. I'm just a carpenter. I'm just, I'm just a truck driver. I'm just a policeman. I, I can't do anything like God could never use somebody like me because I'm a hairdresser. I'm a, I'm a convicted felon for crying out loud. How could God use anybody like me? I'll let you know this. Some of God's greatest servants are convicted felons. So stop offering excuses and start offering yourself as a conduit God can use for his glory to bring revival. God spoke to Ezekiel and said to him in Ezekiel 22:30, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. I found no one. Man, don't let that be said about us. D.L. Moody stood in the gap and became a conduit for a great revival that still goes on today. And I believe that God is calling some of you by name this morning. And I believe that God is calling you to stand in the gap for your generation so that you can become a conduit for revival in our day. When God is, sends out his call, what is your response? I pray that your response is, here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, revive me. Here am I, Lord, use me for your glory. I don't care what that looks like. I don't care what that looks like. Sixth, remove the obstacles to revival. I know your A.W. Tozer, if you've been, the devotional that you've been reading has pointed this out. We have to do something about the sin that still remains in us. There's nothing worse than a hose with a kink in it. Those of you that are mechanics, what happens when the fuel line gets clogged? The engine stops. For some of us, what keeps us from being the conduit that God can use is the fact that we're not willing to deal with the sin in our life. We've become complacent. We're letting it still have its hold on us. We have to remove the obstacle to revival. Verse 6 says, will you not re revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Listen, the only way people can rejoice in the Lord is when they're right with God. Sin separates us from God. The guilt and shame of sin makes us want to hide from God. Because we're afraid if we come out into the light, he's going to punish us. But the perfect love of God casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. He's not out to punish us. He is out to redeem us and to restore us. We need to come out from hiding and let him deal with the stuff in our life that prevents him from using us in the ways that he wants to use us. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We have to remove the obstacles that stand in the way of our being used as a conduit by getting rid of the sin, by dealing honestly with it, by confessing it to the Lord, and bringing it to him so he can clear us out and use us more. Confession and repentance bring forgiveness and they restore to us the joy of salvation. Read Psalm 51 this afternoon. Are you right with God? Are you living in the joy of your salvation? If not, you need to deal honestly with your sin and confess it to the Lord because he wants to make you a person he can use to bring revival to his people. Seventh, wait expectantly for revival. Wait expectantly with hope, with great anticipation for revival. Waiting, now let's be clear, waiting doesn't mean doing nothing. As a matter of fact, just the opposite in the Bible, as people wait they're very active. Waiting in our minds is very passive. I'll just sit here in my seat and wait for the Lord to send me a revival. And we wonder why it don't come. As we wait for the Lord, we're to be very active. 
waiting for the Lord to send revival, but active, doing what we know to do to make ourselves available to him, to catch the wind of his revival when it comes. We wait expectantly for revival, not by doing nothing. Instead, we listen carefully to the Lord and we put his word into practice as best we understand it in the moment. Verse 8 says that exactly when it says, I will listen to what God the Lord says. This is my commitment as I wait for the Lord to send revival to me and to use me to bring glory and honor to his name to the, in the world around me, I am going to listen to what God the Lord says because he promises peace to his people, his faithful servants. But let them not turn to folly. And this is what I see so often as we wait. We turn to folly. We start getting distracted. We start getting discouraged. We get our eyes off of every, onto everything else but him. We listen to every other voice but His. As we wait, we focus on His voice. We focus on His face. We put into practice His Word. Jesus says in John 14, 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. That kind of eliminates a lot of our excuses. Don't tell me you love Jesus when you're not willing to do what He says. Obedience to the Lord is the recipe for blessing and personal revival. Putting into practice what you know as best you understand it, lines you up for revival. Eighth, <laughs> when it comes, enjoy it. You want to know, I'll, okay, I'm going to fess up right here. We're probably the only church I've ever been part of and ever will be part of, ever been to, ever will be, ever will go to, where we start a service letting the people in the pews express gratitude to God. Is that not weird? Have you ever had that before in your church experience? You know why I do that? Because it thrills my soul to no end to hear how good God is being to his people. It sets my heart on fire. Sometimes it's a kick in the pants. Sometimes it's a pat on the back. But it excites me to hear what God is doing. When people share about the goodness and the kindness of God and what he's doing to reform their lives, transform their families, man, there's something energizing about that, is there not? It causes me to rejoice in the Lord. And that's exactly what we ought to do when revival comes. And it's here. It's here. <sighs> Get the fire blowing. It's here. Enjoy revival when it comes. I want you to look at verses 10 through 13. Actually, we're not going to go into great detail. I want you to go home and think about this. All I want to do is point this out. The key word in verses 10 through 13 is righteousness. It's used three times in these four verses. Righteousness. Now, what righteousness means here is living according to God's standard. Doing what is right. Righteousness. Here's what Charles Finney, another great revivalist from... The past says, a revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. When revival comes, you're going to see people like you and people like me living up to what we have received in Christ Jesus. You're going to see people like you and people like me, our walk matching our talk. Won't that be wonderful when that happens? That everybody who wears a Jesus fish lives like a Jesus person. Will that not be revival? Won't that be a wonderful world to be part of? When everyone who names the name of Christ is actually living like they believe it. What a difference that will make. We'll have tons to celebrate on that day. When your boss who tells you what he did in church on Sunday is actually living like a godly boss Monday through Friday. Hallelujah. You think that'll make a difference in your workplace? Think about all those people that you're around every day who claim to be Christians, but you're looking at them scratching your head like, if they were put on trial for being a Christian, there wouldn't be enough evidence to convict them. Oh, but you got to stop and look in the mirror. Wait a minute. <laughs> How many of us this week have been the one 
to cause division, dissension, destruction, harm, hurt to someone else. Thank you for your honesty. But what if this week, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we determined in our hearts that's not going to be, I will not be that one this week. Imagine how that would change your marriage, your home, your workplace, your school classroom, when suddenly everyone who named the name of Christ, their walk and their talk were lined up with the will of God. <laughs> There'll be plenty to rejoice at. That's why I rejoice with you. Even though it may seem to you, I heard Chris this morning talking about celebrating small victories. <laughs> I want to celebrate every victory that God gives you because it reminds me of the victories he's already given me and it reminds me there are still more victories ahead if I'll be faithful to him. You guys, listen. More and more, more and more. There's so much more for us. So much more for us. So much more for us. We need revival. We need revival. I believe with all my heart, God wants to send revival. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? 2020 is going to be filled with challenges. I'm not just talking about the politics of the age that we're in, which are horrible. I'm not just talking about the racial divisions we seem to have and struggle with. I'm not talking about the financial conditions that appear to be rising and falling and who knows what lies ahead of us in that way. I am talking about the challenges that we face as individuals. Some of you are going to face incredible discouragement this year because things don't go the way you expect them to. Will you continue to walk this out for the glory of God? Some of you are going to face diagnoses from doctors and it's going to catch you completely by surprise. Are you still going to be faithful to God? Have you got enough in your spiritual tank to walk that out and remain faithful to God? We don't know what lies ahead of us in 2020. But I do know who walks with us through 2020. We need to take time right now to make sure our spiritual tanks are full that we are being revived in spirit so that we're ready to face whatever challenges or whatever opportunities lie ahead of us in the years ahead, in, the, in this year ahead. I believe God wants to send revival. I know we need it. I'm asking you this year, put this action plan into place. Live this action plan out. Pray for revival. Offer yourself to God for revival and live in faithful obedience to God until revival comes.